This is CliffCentral.com. That's how we like to do it. Oh, Cuesta versus Casper. Oh, featuring versus, you know, I'm getting too old for this, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. It's frankly speaking one hour. Thank you so much to Gareth and the gang back again tomorrow. Hey, uh, honest dialogues happening in South Africa on your radio right now. We decided to kick Rorisang Shavalala out of the studio for the show. It is a sad day when black people have to leave the studio, but we decided we needed to have this conversation without him and bring a whole bunch of white people in. You know how we do it, this race thing. We got to keep going. We got to keep, I know, I know, I know. It's difficult to hear, but we've got to do it. Uh, we're asking today, what should white people do? This is not a prescriptive show. This is not we're telling you. We're getting a whole bunch of opinions from a whole bunch of different types of people, different walks of life, and you can make up your own mind. You can decide if you want to change something, if you want to do something. And hey, if you want to get involved, ask us your questions, disagree with us, you can hit us up on uh, WeChat, cliffcentral.com. Or on uh, Twitter at Yebo underscore L-E-V-Y. We've got a whole bunch of guests and, uh, it's going to be really, really fascinating. I'm quite, I'm quite, I don't know what to expect. I know my producers are freaking out at the moment. They're, they're like, uh, white people, too many in the studio right now. I hear you guys. I hear you. Rory, we kicked out. Um, so it is just me and a whole bunch of white people asking, what should white people do today? And we'll start with this. Racism is not a problem. There's fact for Racism this. Racism is not a problem. It's not a major problem. There are statistics for this. I want that white people actually own uh, the history of this country and own their part in what has happened and what has transpired. You don't I feel like you have any racial prejudice in your mind? No, Socialized. but you can go ask the more than 20,000 black patients I've treated at Barra <laughs> willingly. I would like white people to want be part of South Africa. And not the South Africa that they create in their own terms, which I've created for them. It is a fact that race is not an issue it's in about, this country. It's a, you believe it's that? You genuinely believe that? It's about things you have lost your damn mind in South Africa? Is, is if, we, if we as a country believe we're going to move forward, we need to get to a point where uh, uh, people such as Ramon, such as Jonathan, are able to engage with the real issues of this country and, and to engage with them honestly, mm-hmm. right? And I'm born privileged intergenerationally privileged, like compounding interest. The fact that I as an individual may not have as much money as the other white guy, or even that black guy over there, doesn't negate the privilege that I'm born with. And part of the privilege of of being white is actually, this thing, you know when you say white is right, if I'm born white, I don't have to second guess myself in different situations. And that is how we start the show today, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to it. Frankly speaking, one hour. What should white people do? Um, a number of different guests. And if you want to be involved, please do let us know. Uh, you can hit us up on WeChat and Twitter. We start the show going back. We need to go back a little bit. Uh, and uh, we want to bring in someone who knows a lot about our history. Emilia Potenza is the head curator at the Apartheid Museum. Emilia, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? Fine, and you? All right, so an interesting topic. I'm very well, thank you. An interesting topic uh, we're speaking about today, what should white people do? I suppose the question that we need to ask is, what should white people do about what? What's the problem in your mind? Well, Andrew, I think that for me, the basic starting point is that no matter how sort of reconstructed we may think we are as whites, I think the best case scenario is that we are all recovering racists. Um, and I think that that's to do with, the, you know, the racist framework within which we've all grown up. And, you know, whether it's come from our parents or our grandparents or our teachers or our uncles or, you know, there's been a framework that has condoned a certain level of racism that we are all swimming in that, those kind of waters. And it takes a very conscious effort to firstly acknowledge that. You know, I think I think that's the starting point mm. to acknowledge that we all have to struggle every day against our own inbuilt prejudices, 
about all sorts of things that we encounter on a daily basis in our society. Emilia, for those that um, are listening to this and are a little bit younger than you and I, for example, because you and I are a bit of a bit of old fogies in in the park here. But if, for those of for those of us who are born free and they're listening to you speak, you know, like they're like, well, I wasn't born into this prejudice. I, I I'm not racist. This has nothing to do with me. You know, I think that that's a misconception because I think that we carry the sins of the fathers, as it were you know, in our own psyches. And I think we're not just dealing with the last 10 years, the last 20 years, you know, since the transition to democracy. We're dealing with the last three centuries. We're dealing with, you know, the legacy of slavery, the legacy of colonialism, the legacy of apartheid. And all, you know, that that toxic cocktail is what, you know, we still are living with the effects of. Um, and that's why it's, it really is important to have a historical perspective on, on, on the present. You know, you can't really make sense of what's going on around us today without having a, a perspective of, you know, what the root causes um, of, of the situation that we're confronting today are. As a recovering racist yourself, how has this affected you? Well, well, you know, I think firstly it's about a shift in consciousness. And for me, that really did happen as a result of understanding, you know, things from a historical perspective. And, and there was just one, you know, absolutely salient moment in my life when I was at university in the 1970s. I'm giving myself my age. Oh, away God, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> remember, you know, being involved as an activist um, through the organization that I was active in on campus, which was actually called CATSOC, the Catholic Society, and um, being given political education by one of the leaders in the organization and being told about the destruction of the African kingdoms in South Africa in the 1800s and how land taxes and hut taxes were imposed on black South Africans in order to force them off the land into the mine. And I said, no, that can't possibly be true. It can't possibly have been as, you know, as explicit as that. Yes. And, and that really was the start of my understanding of basically inequalities in South Africa and how we still live with them today. That, you know, the, 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 the economy of South Africa, which was based on gold mining, was absolutely dependent on an unlimited large supply of cheap labor. And the government and the mine owners completely conspired to ensure that that supply came from the rural areas in South Africa and from other Southern African countries. And that forms the basis of our economy today and the legacy of that form informs the basis of the inequalities that we confront today. And I think if we don't sort of understand that that's our starting point, it's very difficult to make sense of what we're dealing with today. Amelia, I'm very interested in your in your just your personal journey and, and uh, you know the experiences that you see on a day to day basis. Young white people that come and visit the apartheid museum, their general feelings, the 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 sentiments that they have, the questions that they ask, what are they what are they feeling at the moment? You know, I think for a lot of young white South Africans, it's a very uncomfortable time. I think they are more than any other generation before them confronting. Um, their own guilt, their own shame, their own complicity um, with with the apartheid project and with the privileges that they that, that they've you know received as a result simply of being white. And I think I think you know we have to accept that. You know we may not whites who don't feel that they're particularly wealthy or whites who feel that they you know, still are struggling to make ends meet. You know, there's just no comparison with, you know, the average black South African in terms of levels of poverty and levels of deprivation. And, you know, we have to start with the assumption that we have benefited 
why young white South Africans have benefited from apartheid, even though they weren't born, even though they didn't you know, actively support the apartheid government. They benefited. They benefited and they still continue to benefit through intergenerational wealth, through the education levels of their parents, through their access to you know, their, their mobility, their ability to travel. Their, you know, there are all sorts of ways. Networks of people in business, through access to jobs, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that is something that you know that they can be blamed for, that they should feel ashamed of. But I do think that it is something that they've got to acknowledge and say, okay, I am in an easier position. I'm in a better position. I have to struggle less to access resources in in, in this society. Where does that place me in terms of dealing with the inequalities in our society? What can I do to give back? For uh, you know, Amelia, I'd love to speak to you for longer. Unfortunately, we've got a whole bunch of guests in studio who are raring to go here. Um, but for for people that you know are white young people or white old people who are going, you know, not my problem, and I'm just I'm done with this this whole issue. And I want to disengage. What would you say to them? You know, I, I, I think there are two or three fundamental things that we can do as human beings in, in, in South African society in order to build bridges and to start to sort of break the divide that is so entrenched because of the apartheid cities in which we live. And it's really hard to, to, to you know, to sustain connections across the geographical divide that we live in, besides anything else. But for me, it is fundamentally important to learn to speak an African language. You know, I think if you can't access the basic, ordinary, everyday kind of exchanges that are going on around you, it's like living in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think, I think that that is a starting point that will really start to change social relations. Um, the other thing is that there are certain basic cultural things that, that are, you know, valuable and meaningful to the majority of, of South Africans that we as whites need to kind of get with the program around. The first is greeting people. When we see people on the street, you know, the, the, the greeting in Zulu, Sao Bona, means I see you. I acknowledge that another human being is walking past me. I mean, I think that is a powerful way of just starting to connect just to say, I see you, I recognize you, hello. That is part of black South African culture. And I think as whites, we can make the shift and start to, you know, connect with people in that way. The other thing that, you know, in that diversity workshops and things that I've done over the years, one of the things that the black participants have often complained about is, you know, you will have noticed that if you trip or if you drop something or if you have any kind of discomfort, a black South African is likely to say sorry. Mm. And often white South Africans respond by saying, don't worry, it's not your fault. And, and my feedback from black South Africans has been that that is so deeply irritating to them because they're not saying, sorry, I think I, I'm responsible for your discomfort. <laughs> they're saying, I empathize with you. I'm sorry that you are feeling discomfort. Mm, 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 and, and for us not to be able to be gracious enough to say thank you is, is deeply distressing to me. Mm. You know, how long is it going to take us to catch a wake up? Emilia Potenza, uh, we, we and sadly on borrowed time here. Thank you so much for joining us and giving your views. I really, really appreciate it. Um, you are the head, am I getting that right? The head curator at the Apartheid Museum, or have you got an even fancier title? No, that's fine. That will do, Andrew. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, if, uh, if those of you listening to this haven't been to the Apartheid Museum, uh, do yourself a favor, go check it out. And if you're lucky enough to see Emilia there, um, she will definitely school you in the history of South Africa. Emilia, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Andrew. So, uh, you know, it, it, it is an interesting situation. We've got some guests in the studio, young and old. Uh, Peter, I don't know where you fall on this young and old case, but we'll, we'll, we'll put you on the young side of things. 
But um, does that make me old? I think so. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm an ageist. What can I say? <laughs> We've got uh, Tracy Lomax, Jamie Nixon, and Peter Ho- Peter Hose. Is that correct? House. 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 Apologies. House. In studio, we're also going to be joined on the line by Craig Fremont, uh, who is a director. Um, he is he is in Johannesburg on Skype. But guys, I I, I I'm very interested by this. What should white people do, and and how we do it? Um, because I think the problem is that I've seen. Uh, and this is just a personal perspective, is when you start talking the the good old liberal language, people switch off. How do we get people to to actually switch on, to actually engage with you in a way that is not like, oh, you're just trying to be better than, you know, uh, whiter than whites, better than, you know, the best white type thing. How do you engage with everyday white people who who will actually hear you? Tracy, maybe we start with you and then Craig will come to you on online there. I think one of the biggest problems is we need to move away from liberal language. Liberal language has only got us so far. We need to be a hell of a lot more progressive in our language. And that might translate into aggression. I have a seven-step plan for white people. One, sit down. (laughs) Two, shut up. Three, listen. Four, check your privilege. Five, give back the land. Six, know your real history. And seven, stay in your lane. So, so that's interesting. Um, let's talk about some of these. Um, Peter, you want to comment on those? Well, I think that's a great plan. Just come to the mic so people can hear. Uh, you. Yeah, I think. There you go. Uh, I think what uh, Tracy's highlighted is really, really important, particularly the sit down and listen, because that is something that, um, again, obviously, I think today we're going to speak in a lot of generalizations. So mm-hmm. let me just put that out there. There are always exceptions to the rule, mm-hmm. but in general, whiteness is so guilty of of wanting to to talk down to other people constantly and never wanting to listen. Mm. And that's one of the biggest problems. I can speak from experience because I used to do it. You know, I am a white person and I will always be um, plagued by whiteness. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as Tracy and I discussed this morning before the show, it's a constant journey. But the way that I learned about all these things was to sit down, shut up and listen. That is what changed everything for me. Because when you start listening to black people and how they feel about things, everything starts to make sense. And you can't understand unless you really listen. Craig? Craig, are you there? Craig? Hello. Yes, I'm here. Craig is, is, is joining us from Mars, it sounds like. Craig, do you think we should shut up as white people? Uh, I, I'm a little bit out of this, uh, the context of this conversation. So, uh, just, just give me like a 50, shut up in what sense? Do you think that white people should sit down and shut up in the social context of Absolutely South Africa? Not. Absolutely not. Okay. What's your thoughts? Well, you know, why must anyone sit down and shut up? You know what I mean? We're all, we're all in this, uh, in this, in this thing together, you know, and we, oh. we, we all have perspectives, you know, we all have shifting perspectives. They're white people who, who were blown up by bombs by the apartheid police, you know, must they shut up as well? You know, uh, uh, for, for me, everybody who's got something, uh, um, <clears throat> constructive and positive to add to the conversation must speak loudly because we need that. You know, uh, for me, if you want to talk about people who should shut up, it's, 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 we, we drown in negativity. You know what I mean? We, we, we're constantly under this barrage of pessimism and negativity. And for me, those people must shut up. And people who've got who've got uh, uh, concrete sort of more positive, more optimistic uh, things to say must speak up. I don't care what race they are. Um, I, I, I saw I saw you know this whole DA uh, Mandela advert uh, debate um, brought out some interesting uh, comments, and I mm-hmm. saw a comment on Facebook where where someone where someone made the comment Mandela's dream is dead. Um, and hello, are you still yeah, listening? Yeah, yeah, we're listening attentively. And, and I and I thought that that there you have the problem like distilled uh, completely. Mandela's dream is dead. Really, 
Is that so? Are we are we not uh, are we not the legacy of Nelson Mandela? Uh, uh, each one of us. And if you say that, then you're saying that my dream is dead as well. And I don't believe that. My dream for this country is not dead at all. Not at all. I mean, we've got problems. We've got some dodgy uh, uh, leadership going on, but it's temporary. What do we want? What do we want to achieve? And how can we achieve that if we all shut up? Tracy, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I don't hold with this rubbish if we're all in this together. Okay. White people and black people are not in this together because we're in completely different spaces. And half the problem with whiteness is wanting to claim a space we don't have. And the reason we don't have it is because we we separated ourselves from black people. So there's this constant rhetoric of we're all in this together and we must look past color overlooks the lived experiences of black people. Mm. And constantly wanting to talk in that space means we're never going to learn from black people. We're never going to listen to the voices that we've spent centuries drowning. Is it that hard for white people to just keep quiet? We've had this, the, the microphone for centuries. We will learn so much more if we let black people have that space. Instead of constantly trying to claim it. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it's not a, it's not a general never say anything. But your first instinct as a white person should not be to talk. It should be to sit down, shut up and listen. And then ask yourself whether your voice is really that important. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's completely true as well. I mean, as I say, I came in, uh, 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 totally cold on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll Almost warm like you up right short. <laughs> short. But I completely agree with that. I think that we all have this uh, this instilled thing that what we have to say is most important. And, um, you know, it's not true. We're, we're, we, we need to develop our listening skills. Um, and we also even need to develop our conversational skills in the sense of how to how to take conversations mm, I agree deeper. with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. how to dialogue with each other. I, I feel it. A lot of what we're affected by is, is in many senses, the success of apartheid, you know, whether it's where people live or whether our mindset or how we were divided, it was very effective and it still affects people today. Mm. Peter, you've, you, you, you're waiting to say something, get involved, come on. I think what we do need to do, which there's a, an incredible lack of, is we do need to create spaces for white people where white people can talk without the presence of black people in the sense that we're talking to each other about what black people are saying and how we need to take that on board, Mm. if that makes sense. Black people should not be telling white people about whiteness and privilege and racism anymore. We should be telling white people about it. They've carried that burden since day one. It's our burden now. It's, It's unthinkable that they still have to say these things. Um, but don't you think, just as a you know, just as a point of contention, don't you think that without the black voice in conversation, which we're having right now, guys, we mm. we purposefully kicked out Rory Sang, um, is is then talking to your point, saying we don't know what the lived experience is. So this, you know, and I agree with Craig. I think we've got a major dialogue problem in South Africa, where we're saying no, we must talk amongst ourselves about this stuff. What for? Like, what are we going to achieve? Well, you know, like the four of us are supposedly seen as uh, on the left or liberal or progressive, whatever you want to call it. And we'll talk for days amongst ourselves. Their Facebook groups for days about anti-racists and anti-whiteness and blah, blah. But who really cares at the end of the day? What's it going to change? Well, I think the thing that's very important to note is that this conversation uh, will be intersectional. There's going to be spaces where the, well, there's going to be places where the black dialogue and the white dialogue are going to overlap. And it's very important. So to answer your question, absolutely. When it comes to what the things are that we need to change, black people have to take the lead. Mm -hmm. They have to inspire and we need to take those things on board. The only thing I meant by that is that I, when I see black people um, on Twitter, for example, having to defend their views about whiteness to white people, I get incredibly uncomfortable mm. because they've been doing it for so long. Mm, and, right. and really, it should be our burden to bear now because I think that is taking active responsibility for it is by saying, you know what, let us do it. What made me think about that was how um, when Pastor Andre 
I mean, I, I oh, thought, don't get me started on Pastor Andre. Jeez, okay, carry on. I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I've known it. But what really hit it home for me was one day when I was chatting to Cooley Roberts on uh, on on Twitter about Pastor Andre, mm-hmm. and we were saying that we were going to go picket outside his church on the Sunday. And when I wrote to her saying we should go and picket, I suddenly looked at those words and I thought, why must she come? Mm. Mm. I must go. Yeah. She doesn't have to go. She's mm. been doing it forever, and her parents did it. Her parents died for doing it, and her ancestors. I must do it. Mm. Yeah. Let's we also, sorry. So, uh, I don't think white people understand when, they, when they're defending whiteness. Um, let's not even talk about when they're being overtly racist, but when they're defending right, whiteness, do they comprehend how hurtful that is? Mm. Do they actually, as you did, sit back and go, Oh my God, what I'm saying is, is not just a, a blithe statement. It, it's, it's, it, it's, this person lives with this pain. Mm. And I'm here defending it? Really? I want to bring in uh, Jamie here, who's, who's been very quiet, shutting up and listening. She is the <laughs> youngest member that we have in studio here. Jamie, as a young white South African, how do you feel about all this? Uh, Okay, uh, hold on, give me a second to think. Cool. Are you nervous? Okay. Uh, a little bit. A little bit, okay. Yeah. Um, I do think, like, when, on the, like, once in a blue moon, when my friends and I do talk about political and social issues, they have a problem with, like, most people, like, teenagers and stuff, like, most of my friends are 16, they, you bring up the subject of whiteness and they become immediately uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And... Whenever you try and explain something to them, they always, no one wants to sit back and actually listen to what it's about before they start defending it. And also, you can see, like, I do have a few, like, black friends, because I'm on this one group on Facebook, and we'll be engaging something, and you'll see them, like, some people trying to defend what racist, like, they'll never... No one wants to accept that what they said is, like, racist or privileged. They'll defend it. And I just have to think that to all the minorities or to all black people, it is actually hurting them. And it's just making people look stupid. No one is willing to sit down and actually listen before they, like, immediately try to say something. There are always people talking over it. So... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Craig, you, you uh, put a post on Facebook the other day. And I mean, Craig, just to give our listeners a bit of perspective, I mean, you would classify yourself as a good sports lover, uh, potentially bordering on jock guy. You know, you've got a lion's <laughs> pass, you know, you're that guy. And you said, can all racist white people please stop behaving like dicks? We are trying to build a nation here. Um, you're making Facebook extremely depressing. You got a number of comments back at you. Were you surprised at some of the, some of the comments that, that came back at you from, from Facebook uh, acquaintances and friends? Well, there were, there were a couple of things that happened off, off that post, uh, that were interesting. The first is, is as, as our, as our, as our young participant just mentioned, uh, immediately there's a defensiveness. Um, immediately there are people going, yeah, what about black racism? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started. It's like, but that's not the conversation. Th- th- that's not the conversation. That wasn't the point. And why, why does this bring out a need in you to, to bring out the concept of black ra- We're not talking about that. We're talking about these quite specific incidents that, you know, that have happened. Um, and but there was a lot of good debate off that post, you know, and and there were certain people, certain black friends of mine who who are quite BC and quite hardcore, who sort of said, "I'm glad this conversation is taking place." And 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 I I think that since the beginning of this year, I, I've I've been one of the people saying, "It's great, man." Or yes, it's hard, and there are hard conversations happening. But what's happening is conversations that that. Because of the whole sort of rainbow nation, woohoo, it's all going to be great. 94, we won the rugby. You know, it, this is going to be a walk in the park. There were conversations that just simple conversations that somehow never took place that, that like what, how many years later, nearly 20 years later, people are having it out, you know, and, and, and I think it's great. You know, I think it's a, a real step in the right direction. Um, that we're able to have those conversations. And, and, and I do think that, 
you know, going back to my very first point is that as white people who, who maybe have a slightly more positive outlook, um, we, we need to, uh, amongst our own people, we need to be, we need to stand up, you know, and we need to challenge people and so, we need to not, not put up with, with passive racism or, or, you know, the kind of subtle racism. We can't do it anymore. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to, it's, I, I think a lot of this stuff is very, very, very deep. You know, people's defensiveness and people's inability. It's deep stuff. It's not simple, you know. I'm interested, Craig, because I mean, you know, you're 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 quite a socialite, running around doing all sorts of social things. When you when you're at the rugby, when you're at the tennis courts, when you you know, and you hear a racist comment or something that even feels a little bit uncomfortable to your ears, I mean, how are you going to deal with that, or how have you dealt with that? Well, I think you know, I I listen very carefully to the sort of the thing, and 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 I if if I feel that it's. Uh, you know, because sometimes people will say things which you sort of like want to respond to, and actually, when you listen to the context of it a bit more, you sort of think, like, they, you know, they're not really. Uh, I don't think there's too much offence there. Mm. But I've certainly been in situations where where I've challenged people hard, and and ended up in in really unpleasant situations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know that that's necessarily the best thing either. You know, I don't, I, I've been in situations where we have sort of almost got into fights about it and I sort of, sort of thought afterwards, but is this the, is that the right approach as well? So for me, there's a kind of like, um, there needs to be a sort of a compassionate way of doing these things of, of sort of going like, you know, brew, uh, you know, I, we, we've never found the right words. That's the problem. But, but if you just get hardcore and they get hardcore back, it doesn't necessarily always end up with a positive result. But I do think to try and, uh, bring a consciousness to what people are saying and make them aware of what they're saying is, is, is a responsibility that we all have. All right. Uh, Craig, we're going to let you go there. I know you're busy with time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate your thoughts. Um, it's Craig Fremond, a director and producer in South Africa, phoning uh, from Johannesburg. Uh, if you rate that call on Skype, it probably was a probably a one. Uh, Peter, your thoughts? I mean, you've probably had some engagements as well when when, when you, you're in the room in a social situation because it's very easy when you're one on one. Right? Someone comes to you, they say something, you're like, you know what, dude, like, what's up? Like, why did you say that? That's just not true, you know? But when you're in a social situation, when you're in the minority, um, with your, the way you think, how do you deal with it? Uh, my experience with that is very limited. Okay. Um, because I've spent most of my time trying to listen to what black people are saying. Um, and I'm only now, uh, since about January this year, I came back onto Twitter after a year long absence. Um, and only since about January, I've started really engaging with trying to infiltrate uh, white society with with these thoughts. Um, one thing I said on Twitter recently was that I think a lot of white people who feel the same way um, as Tracy and I and, and Craig, and um, I'll tell you, there's a lot of people, uh, they're just very quiet about it. Mm. And I think it boils down to the fact that there's a fear of engaging it in social spaces face to face because of the very aggressive resistance that whiteness has to being called out. So, for example, if you're with family or friends or um, colleagues at work or whatever that are that are saying things that offend you as a white person because you know what they're saying is wrong, people aren't always very keen to jump in and say, hey, what you said was wrong because, like you said, you'll be in a minority mm. and the response is so aggressive. <clears throat> so I think uh, um, I think Tracy's had a lot more experience than I have in terms of confronting <laughs> this. I, I don't. Tracy's so, confronting it on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, you know, confronting it in actual social spaces where you're in the room has got to be a, a thing about not being afraid anymore you know it's a fear that you have to overcome to say that's not right uh, tracy i i have a interesting thought for you um and please don't don't kill me just yet but is this whole like white wokeness 
just a fad, another way of keeping the status quo as it is. I mean, we, we saw, I've got a few quotes here, and one that really speaks to me is Martin Luther King saying he's been gravely disappointed by the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, yeah. who, prefer, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, a peace, which is the presence of justice. Do you think that this white wokeness that is starting to prevail among South African whites, specifically young whites, is a way of just keeping the status quo. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, like, we need to go against whiteness. We need to do this. And uh, I'll say it on Facebook and Twitter. But then that's where it ends. I that's where the conversation ends. It, yes, I agree with everything you've said. But it goes further than that. When white wokeness is becoming the voice against racism and and black consciousness is no longer that voice because it's being drowned out by white wokeness. We definitely have a problem. Mm. And there were a couple of, of, of notes I made pursuant to, to what Peter said and what Craig said. I'm tired of hearing about Mandela. Mm. In um, what way? White people should start reading Biko. Yes. Mm. White people should start reading, um, not Martin Luther King, start reading Malcolm X. Start learning Robert what Sabuque. black, Robert Sabukwe, Sankara. Mm. Start, start learning what black consciousness is. Because you know, the politics of Mandela is great as a children's story. By all means, teach it to your kids. But by the time you're 13, you should have moved past that we love each other into the, into the, you, you need to be discomforted in your whiteness. Mm. You need to scratch that scar because black consciousness is, is not comfortable. It's not something white people want to listen to. There's times when I, I, I'm listening to, to, to black people and I'm thinking, oh, my God, there's times I hate being white. But that is a good thing because whiteness has a terrible, violent, oppressive history. Mm. And and we need to learn about that history. We need to stop looking at, at, at the British Empire as this wonderful thing and start realizing it was a revolting thing. It, it, was, it did terrible things. But by divorcing yourself from whiteness, isn't that a problem as well? Because inherently you are white you know and and this is so this is something that that personally i've had trouble with because you know it's very easy to say oh i'm not one of those people i'm not one of those white people that does this does that you know whatever the case may be but by doing that you almost give yourself a free pass at not looking at yourself and going well how you know you talk about giving back the land right are you serious about that like is that is that a real thing for you you have some land you want to give that back Giving back the land is, is, a, is, is not as simple as just saying all white people must give up what they own. Mm-hmm. I was listening to some stats from uh, the, the – I can't remember what it's called. It was the Agricultural Research Center, I think. And, and it's frightening what the statistics are of real land use in this country. 95% of our food is produced by 8% of our agricultural land. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me we need it all. Mm. Don't tell me that black people aren't capable of using land when we are using it so badly. Mm. You know, I'm not asking you to give up your house in Santon or your two acres in Chartwell. We're talking about land that has traditionally been held by black people, which, sorry, I'm banging on the table. <laughs> You're passionate. It's okay. <laughs> you know, giving back the land is, is empowerment. Um, it's not simply a case of, of hand everything over. It's a case of what we're talking about is empowering black people and empowering this country. So, yes, I'm serious about giving back the land. And if it means I've got to give up my land where I am, well, then I have to stand by that. Mm. Um, but what we're talking about is, is a social shift away from 13% of the population owning the land. Is it is a case because and and please school me on this if needs be, but but my understanding is that government owns quite a bit of the land. Yeah, and so it's actually not in the hands of white people, and that's a misperception. Yes, but yes, true, government owns a large percentage of the land, and that's something that we've got to change and address. <coughs> EFF. Well, um, on that point, <laughs> let me just interject and say that uh, the ANC faces a lot of criticism for not being active enough in. Yeah. In redress. And um, so even if the government owns a lot of the land, you know, they are also responsible for the fact that it hasn't been returned yet. Um, The ANC in many ways um, upholds the status quo that many people are angry with in this country. Um, Yeah, but also a lot of that. Is, is there's a lot of backing by white capital oh, behind yeah. that. And we can't remove white capital from this conversation either because white capital props up 
whiteness. Um, and I, I use the word white capital intentionally. Don't come at me with your guptas while we're still having uh, the, the extent of, of white capital backing poor decisions by the ANC, poor implementation of transformation, because transformation is not what white capital wants. Mm. How do you guys find a voice as a white person when being critical of government? Because often that's that's the trouble that a lot of white people find in this country is that they, they they now have been quiet. And I disagree. I don't think it's 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 for us to be quiet. I do think we need to listen. And in context, we need to to um, to make sure that we do shut up. But, for example, when there's, you know, white corruption or widespread corruption going on in government, how do you how do you find a voice that is critical of government without being white without showing whiteness and without being actually racist well i think one of the ways is to be um very conscious to not scapegoat the anc for all of our problems in the country because that is a fallacy Mm. the anc is there is corruption within the anc but people must remember that you you know ironically you know topics aren't black and white um (laughs) the the fact is there is still a lot of good about the ANC. And I know that there's a lot of white people listening to this now screaming like they do for the rugby, but in the wrong way when they lose, saying, how the fuck can he say that? But the truth of the matter is, um, if you look at the policies of the ANC, political policies, they have the best policies of any of yeah. the parties for this country. The problem is not the policies of the ANC. The problem is the Zuma uh, administration. Mm. Unfortunately, it's it's fallen into a, a state of mismanagement. I always say that if we were to sort out the the leadership problem in the in the current ANC, I'm voting ANC again, no doubt. Mm. But um, I can't consciously do that. I can't vote for Zuma when I know that Zuma's not doing anything uh, real or concrete for black people in the sense that he's, you know the instigator and and facilitator of so much corruption so so for me uh, well now i've taken to voting to udm because i will not vote da for many reasons um <laughs> you want to vote for bantu holomisa yes absolutely i love the general uh his policies are also really great and very progressive and even though he's a small party uh, i'd rather i'd rather give my vote to a smaller party and keep in keep him in opposition than not vote for example and he, he speaks truth to power which so many have absolutely doing. he's one of the most consistent politicians in this country yeah. what he says is what he does yeah um so what i just wanted to finish off by saying is don't demonize the anc they're going through a rough patch but don't scapegoat the anc for all of the problems in the country because when you want to speak about the ANC, you have to come from a place of already having admitted that white people still own majority of the economy and the land, as Tracy says, has not been given back. We haven't addressed racism, whiteness, white privilege. Once you address those things and you admit them and you start speaking about them, then your criticism of the ANC will make sense and it will be consistent. Also, there's two other, two other things. The ANC has been hamstrung by the the transition and by the efforts during transformation to retain capital. Um, so when you criticize the ANC, you, you can't distance it from apartheid um, and, and, and what the ANC was left with, the legacy where they were left with, which was a bankrupt country. Oh, yeah. The other a very thing, corrupt government, yeah. the apartheid government, but which many people don't want to admit. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is, in criticizing the ANC, make sure you're not doing it at a selfish level. Um, I, don't, I don't want to hear about the fact that you can no longer afford your holiday home. If I'm going to criticize the ANC, it's not going to be on the basis of the stock market crashed and I can't go overseas anymore. I want it to be on the basis of bread prices are going to rise and the poor are going to starve. Absolutely. Those are the criticisms we need to be leveling at the ANC because those are the people they made promises to. They they made promises to white people. We weren't promised anything, and we had no right to expect it. Mm. But the people that that promises were made to, the people who have a right to expect the ANC to do better are the poor, and those are largely black people. So if you're going to criticize the ANC, that has to be the level of your criticism. Not, not, oh, my God, I can't, you know, the rand has dropped. I can't afford to 
shopping. To go overseas. Exactly. I'm interested to hear, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk uh, from the likes of people like Adam Struitz from Afri Forum oh. about uh, yeah. um, white squatter camps and, uh, you know, 80 white squatter camps with more than 400,000 poor whites living without water and electricity. Do they have a more more of a claim to being prejudiced against than than your average white person? I'll start taking Anne Stewart seriously when he starts taking feminism seriously, when his advocate doesn't use comments like rape culture is rape light in a court of law, and when Afriforum starts actually be, being the, the, the force for social welfare that they claim to be. Afriforum is a political party that simply doesn't participate in party politics. Mm. Take take Afriforma because they, they they're marred with a whole bunch of issues that that we don't need to get into in the show right now. But this idea of a poor white person, right? And we know that there's no comparison between a poor white person and a poor black person. And if you need to understand the definition, one is systematically poor yeah. and one is just poor, right? Mm. But let's just take those poor white people for for and let's try empathize with their position at the moment. Sitting in some kind of white squatter camp in Krugersdorp or just outside of Pretoria. Do they have a bigger claim of prejudice or being prejudiced against than the average white person? Because, you know, affirmative action and B supports the transformation of, of white capital and white industry. But they're kind of just being left behind because they're poor and they can't do anything about it. They don't have the social capital that middle class white people have. Look, they what, they, what they do have, which a lot of black people don't have, is they have uh, groups like Afri Forum yeah. that are supporting them mm. because whiteness will always help whiteness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Look at the the renegade report that raised thousands of rands for <laughs> white tears. Yeah. But do they ever do that for black tears? Uh-huh. Never. So even though they are destitute and we should be feeling empathy with anyone who's got nothing. Mm. Um I don't think that we should exclude the pain of those people. But what we must know is that there will be white people looking out for them. For no other reason but than that, the they're fact white. that they're white. If you are a white person listening to this show right now, and, and we're, we're running out of time, unfortunately. It's amazing how quickly an hour goes in the show. But you're a white person. You're, you're, you're shaking your head. You're just like disagreeing completely with these weird white people with weird hair or no hair in the studio. <laughs> um, how, do you turn, how do you turn their buttons? Because... Tracy, I, you know, I, I think that there's one way of doing it, which is getting aggressive. But when I've got aggressive in the past with white people about issues of whiteness, they've simply turned away. They've simply stopped listening. How do you change the dial so that people feel comfortable enough? Because right now, whiteness is based out of fear. It's white fear. It's fragility. It's fragility. It's the unknown. It's, I, I, you know. I have nothing in this country. I have no say. I have no, you know, and they don't realize what they do have. They say from their bar in Santa. Exactly. Exactly. They don't realize what they do have. So how do we turn the dial in a way that people can actually hear what is being said in conversations like this and go, hmm, maybe I should interrogate. Maybe I should take that moment to interrogate my life. It comes from an emotional EQ point of view and and an intellect that no academics can teach you. You as a person... Are, well, you should be interested in personal growth. Mm. The only way you can do that is if you were to start actively engaging with these things that offend you. There's an artist called Dean Hutton. He's a photographer. Um, and they've got a website that, that's called fuckwhitepeople.org. <laughs> I think all white people should go onto that website and have mm. a look because what Dean tries to do is to go into the heart of whiteness and destabilize it and offend it. Because you say fuck white people to any white person in this country and they're going to go ballistic. <laughs> South African Human Rights Commission, yeah. here we come. And <laughs> Hate the, speech. <laughs> the point of the artwork and the reason why it's so profound is to make you uncomfortable. Mm. So, yeah. you know, the thing is... Uh, People need to not be afraid of getting uncomfortable and being vulnerable. I don't know why we have to put up this front of absolute strength when actually we just need to be vulnerable. And being vulnerable... But not fragile. Of course not fragile <laughs> because the fragility makes you lash out and you, you can't listen in, in, in that sense. You need to, as Tracy mentioned earlier, you need to read Biko. You need to read the, 
the African literature on all these subjects. If you want to know what white privilege is, whiteness, white fragility, uh, critical race theory, you need to go online and, and read about it. And if you don't agree, you have to ask yourself why. And you have to start engaging in conversations with why you don't agree so that your own viewpoint can be critically assessed. You can't just say, oh, that's rubbish. Mm. Tell yourself and other people why. And in that sense, in that way, I think you will learn eventually. Mm. Jamie, last words from you. What are uh, your thoughts? On this particular subject that you've just addressed, I don't have a lot of thoughts right now. But I do have another thing that I think is quite important and relevant to the topic. Um, a lot of people on social media say that black people should get over apartheid and get over the oppression that they've suffered. And I know from a personal experience, we had a friend over for lunch and my grandfather said, he doesn't look gay. And I got offended as a pan person that we don't. You, no one looks gay. And my dad said, Jamie, get over it. And I felt so infuriated because how dare you as a straight person take away my rage, at, my rage at this. And I just have to think that, um, this is how black people must feel when you say you should get over it. Because how dare you take away our offense? It's not your place to. And pain. Mm. Managing anger. And also, I had started a blog which is called Dear White People, and I, I need to actually maintain it because I'm very bad at doing that. But when I say Dear White People or when I um, reference whiteness, it's not personal. Whiteness is a social construct. It's not about the color of your skin. It's about what that means within society. So stop stop immediately going, oh, my God, you're talking to me. How I haven't done anything wrong. Start thinking about what it is that we're dealing with, what social issue is it that we're trying to deal with. It's not about your white skin. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. That is, that is, time is running. We're going to be doing a series on what white people should be doing. We'll let Rory Sang back into studio. Uh, Tracy Lomax, Peter Hose, and Jamie Nixon, thank you so much for joining us, as well as Emilia Potenza and Craig Fremont. Uh, more on the subject, you can just hit us up on Twitter at Yebo underscore L-E-V-Y. Give us your thoughts. Uh, leave you with a quote from Steve Biko, which says, uh, South African white community is as homogeneous. The earnest white left-wing academic, the angry liberal cartoonist, the hobbyist white activist, and the everyday white South African who nurses racism daily are indeed one. For as long as the white is the color of privilege, the white voice will be a claustrophobic chorus that chokes freedom. And I think that is the key, that freedom did not come in 1994. We're still fighting for it. Ladies and gentlemen, Join us for more Frankly Speaking next week, Wednesday. Have a good day. Ciao, ciao. This is CliffCentral.com.